0: Good. Have a seat. (laughs) Um, I'll tell you what, all the scriptures that I'm going to have for you today will pop up on the screen with the exception of the 103rd Psalm. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. We're going to get to that at the end, Uh, the 103rd Psalm. It's a a psalm that we read, I would say, often in the room, which is good to continue to do that uh, from time to time. It's very formative, it helps us uh, as a community. Uh, continue to hear the same message uh, from God's Word. But just mark that. It's going to be later. Um, And I have some other things I want to talk about uh, as we move through um, the text today. The main text is 1 Timothy 4.12, which has been on the screen every week. Uh, It reads like this. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example. I've highlighted a few keywords here for you. Set an example for the believers in, and here comes the run of stuff and speech and life and love and faith. And then finally today, Purity. So, if you're just joining us, we've been walking through each of these words every week. We've, like we do around here, we took one verse and we stretched it out for five weeks. And um, and the thing is about a, a verse like this is we often think that the most important thing things are the action items at the end. Set the example in, and then here comes the list: speech and life, love, faith, and purity. But in reality, the heart of the verse is the word example, which is in the Greek behind me on the screen. It's the word tupos. And the heart of this verse is in rough situations. As you can see, the first part of the text uh, illustrates that for us, that Timothy, the recipient of this letter, is in very stressful circumstances with people. And that's often where we get stress from, is it not? And so Timothy is in this rough spot with people that he knows and loves, and in this case serving. He's their pastor. And he gets this advice to set the example. That's the advice he gets. In your rough situations with people, be an example. Now there are two extremes when you're in stress with people. One is to stand up and fight and go for it and stand your ground and win. The other extreme is to just be a doormat. And we all know both people. But Timothy gets introduced to a different way, which is, why don't you see yourself as an example or set an example with your life and your speech and your faith, and your love, and so on to these people around you, which is much harder than either fighting for it or laying down and getting run over. To be an example is to set yourself apart from the norm, and it's to let people around you know that this is what it looks like when God is at work in me, and when I'm in these stressful situations, uh, this is what it looks like to get help from God, to have mercy from God, and so forth. And it's a deeply relational verse. This is not just some existential sort of just go and do these things on your own in private. This is very interrelated with people. Be an example in these things. And as we've said each and every week, the list of things at the end of the verse are consequently things that tend to weaken when we're in stress. And so it's a nice, it's a nice like very relevant set of things for us. I mean, we often weaken in our speech and life means conducts, so our behavior sometimes weakens, our love for people definitely drops a level um, our faith can sometimes take a hit, and then here we are on the fun week of purity. Uh, a couple of people ask me, like, "Do you think anybody will show up for the purity sermon um, i don 't I don't really know, and it 's one of those things where we have the list we have speech, life, love, faith, and it 's like it builds, and it feels like if you 're moving through these series you know week by week, word by word you can kind of start to feel like, maybe I can improve in these areas. Maybe I can somehow become a better uh, person in my speech. Maybe I can somehow become a better person in my life and conduct and behavior. Maybe I can make some steps to improve in all these areas. And then Paul throws the word purity at the end as though it's sort of like just to wipe all the other things out because we'll never be pure. It's a pretty big problematic word because purity means what? Like perfection. Perfection. To be pure is to not really have any blemishes. And by the way, in the Bible, this word purity only appears twice in the New Testament, and it's in this letter. So this is not an overused uh, word. It's not a thin word. It's carefully chosen. And the advice that Timothy gets is be a pure person. Purity. Set an example in that somehow. Uh, Let me tell you a funny story, because the rest of the sermon isn't very funny. (laughs) This series that we've been doing, uh, we've been doing it in tandem with another church, some friends of mine at a church south in uh, McDonough. Uh, The church is named Momentum, um, which when they named their church, I said, I hope you always have Momentum, because it'd be weird to have a church named Momentum and you're dying. But anyway, uh, so we pray for Momentum for you. Um, But they're they're doing the same series alongside of us they're a week ahead of us so it's been kind of fun to watch how they treat the different words the way it worked out was i was at a church planters meeting uh in the city here and he was he was there my friend the pastor was there and we were talking about what we were teaching this fall and he said i I have like this four or five week spot i don't know what to do with i said well let me email you what we're doing and then you can you know we'll go from there so i did and he smiled as if to say thanks for writing my sermon series for me and uh, so we've been collaborating a little bit back and forth, but they uh, post their sermon videos online, like on this ustream.com, it's like a free video service, um, which we'll never use, and you'll hear why in just a moment. So every, you know, sermon prep day, I would sit down and just kind of at least spend a few minutes watching what they did and how he treated the, the different words. And so here's the situation. I'm, I'm, oftentimes I write sermons at home, I can't do it here, but so I'll just sit at the kitchen table and I've got the laptop open and i Bring up the video of the sermon, and I've got I've got the Bible on the table. I've got the journal and the coffee, of course the coffee, and I've got the pen, and I'm ready to go. And I look up, and you know the Momentum Church logo is spinning because you need a spinning logo, and uh, so I know I've got some time here to find the text. And so I sit down, and then an ad commercial comes up, which is what you get when you get a free video service. So there's like a commercial ad playing before you get to see the sermon, and I look up, and it's a Victoria's Secret's commercial. 30 seconds, I mean, and so you have to, again, you have to picture this, I'm at the table with my Bible, my journal, my pen in hand, I'm ready to take notes on a sermon from God's Word, and I look up, and on the screen, there's a woman in her underwear walking through a train, like a subway train, which almost never happens here on Marta. (laughs) At least not this girl, all right? I've seen a lot of awesome stuff on Marta, but not this person. <laughs> now, the most fun about that was, because there was definitely a downside of that, like, what, what am I doing? What is, the, what is happening in front of me? But the most fun was to tell Momentum that you do know that your sermon about purity, is the prelude is this girl in her underwear walking around on a train. I just want you to know, which explains their attendance hike, but... Uh, <laughs> I say that to say, and I think that you can resonate with me on this. When you talk about the word purity, even in the most controlled situations, like I'm going to prayerfully write a sermon. It doesn't get any more, you know, I'm, I'm in that moment. Stuff happens. Like it's just not possible to completely separate from the challenges that push back against this call to be a pure person are you with me on that you just can't do it even sitting in this room during worship and during prayer your mind can wander hatred lust anger like it just isn't so the word purity itself is problematic for us because it it gives us this picture of something that we really can't get to at least not for long they're like temporary moments of purity but if you break those moments of purity, then you are essentially as a whole impure. There's a hole in you and in me. And so I find it very interesting and troubling and challenging that of all the things on this list, Paul ends it with this word that ultimately has everything else in the verse submit and pale in comparison. It's, very, it's a very, very difficult thing. Let's do a couple of verses um, for you on the screen. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Again, it's it's somewhat troubling and also amazing, but it says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So what is a temple? A temple is where the divine lives. A temple is where God resides. And so Paul was raising this question to the church in Corinth saying, and really, if you know anything about Corinth, I mean, this question needed to be asked. Do you not know? that when you became a christ-following person that god moved into you however that happens we don't we don't know uh paul in colossians 1 27 says that that christ in you is a mystery so that, that's good enough for me we'll just call it a mystery but paul was raising the question like don't you know that your body is the place where god lives and then it says, which you, um, which you have from God and that you are not your own. And that you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. It's a humbling statement. But when you become a follower of Christ, we are told that God moves in and takes up residency within us, however that happens. And the purpose of God's residency in us is to make us into the person he wants us to be. So it's this process of creating us and recreating us and helping us grow in our faith and in, in our development as his children. In the verse, I mean when you look back at the verse, it's a call to live a life of purity which is difficult. It's a call to sin less. I and mean, that's just the bottom line. Whatever the sins are that you struggle with, the call of scripture is to do those less and less and less. Why? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5:17, also a verse we read quite a bit in here. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creation. So this is a, this is a statement by Paul again, again to the Corinthians. <laughs> you should do some background on the Corinthians. Reminding them that this is the thing that God is doing. Not only in you, but in the world. See, purification is part of God's work to put the world back together. And that includes you and me. In fact, it really begins with you and me. And so we have this new creation concept that like we are new creations. And therefore, we should not only keep that in mind, but we should follow that and respond to that and recognize that God day by day is trying to renew us, change us. And some of it, again, is just a mystery, but... Mostly, most of all, when we read his word, when we're in prayer with people, when we're in these settings and we're learning and being challenged, it's a matter of like responding to those things in faith and trusting that it will work. Like if God's calling me to stop this or stop that or go this direction and go away from those things, that it, it's all this sort of act of faith in response to this call to be a pure person, to live a pure life. But the heart of this Second Corinthians verse is that, We are new creations, and therefore, it says it very clearly, the old has to go and the new has to come. Now, the um, churches have done a lot of disservice with this type of, with this verse in particular, because it, it gets read and communicated as though, look, you were baptized, and therefore, everything about your former life that was destructive needs to end right now. And it becomes very difficult for people who actually have addictions or who actually have to work through deep-seated issues. But the way this actually reads in the Greek is that this is an ongoing process, which is where we get from the Old Testament that God's mercies are new every morning, which is a nice amen moment. This is a continual process of being created and recreated and changed and renewed. We have to remember that. But it is the whole person. That's what God's going for. Let me read this uh, section right at the tail end of Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis. This is my wonderful copy where the pages come out. But he says, the Christian way is different, harder, and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time or so much of your money or so much of your work. I want you. I have not come... This is awesome. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off the branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown the tooth or stop the tooth, but have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires that you think are innocent, as well as the ones that you think are wicked, the whole outfit. And I will give you a new self. In in fact, I will give you myself and my will shall become yours. That's a nice extended riff on what it means to be a new creation, that we are allowing God to move into every single corner of our life and to let him have his way with everything about us. Are you with me on that? Uh, Psalm 1 verse 1 says, uh, Blessed is the, uh, the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. This is how the poem begins. This is how the entire psalm, the book of Psalms begins. It talks about a person who does not find themselves wanting to be around things that are going to compromise who they are. Now, the writer is brilliant. Next slide. The, The flow of this psalm in verse one is walking, standing, and sitting. It's brilliant. That's exactly how we come in contact with and, and, and grow very settled and comfortable in sin. We walk near it and we stop and we stand by it and then we rest in it. Dallas Willard says, sinful practices become their habits, then their choices, and finally their character. And that's not hard to do the math on, is it? I used to never be this way, but step by step, habit building step by step, This is now my character. And so this call for Timothy to set an example as a pure person is in many ways a reminder, as it has been for us as we look at the word, that we're not there yet. That we don't really have a pure life that we're working with. And the difficult thing with this word and the word itself is, again, that it's very problematic because when we see it and process it and really come to grips with what it means, our initial response is not inspiration. Like literally when I said, we're going to talk about purity today, I'm doubting that all of you went awesome. It's not an inspiring word. It is on the second layer because that's what we really want for our lives. We wish that, I mean, and as the older we get, the more we wish this, but we wish we could go back and just sort of change all the things that have contributed to impurity. If I could just go back and change this or that decision or this or whatever, like underneath the initial response is a deep-seated desire to be a pure person, but our initial response is not inspiration. Because what happens when we often see this word and hear this word is that we're simply reminded that we're not this word. This is why church and services about purity can be very troubling. And just so you know from here on out, I'm not going to list sins. Because you know as well as anybody what those are for you. But I think we're safe enough and comfortable enough and challenged enough at the same time to just sit in the reality that when I see the word purity on the page, that doesn't describe me all the time. And don't take this the wrong way, it doesn't describe you either. I mean we just have a long way to go and again the older we get it just becomes harder and harder there's a wonderful story in John 8 where Jesus has this woman brought to him who had been caught in the act of adultery and the people are holding stones and they say the law says that we should kill her what do you say we should do and Jesus's response was let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. Basically, fine, kill her. When they heard it, and then he says, when they when it says when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the what? Elders. For some reason, I read this story to my son who is nine. He said, "Read me a Bible story." I flipped open the Bible. Let's do the one about adultery. What's adultery, Dad? That's another night. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but I was, you know. 10 verses in, I can't change. I mean, we're doing the story. Here we go. Um, But I get to this part, and I shut the Bible, and my son's looking at me like, well, that's 48 seconds I can't get back. And I said, why do you think the older ones left first? And he said, I guess because they have more mistakes. Yes. A budding theologian. But that's true, isn't it? If I said the same thing, like, if any of you is without sin, then you can throw the first stone. And if you began to leave as they did in the story, the honest ones who left first would be older. Because we have this history of all these different things that we've been through. And someone who is 20 is not going to have, relatively speaking, as long awake of mistakes as someone who is 50, 60, 70. We think, it's like we imagine that we'll get better with age, but oftentimes what happens is that we are reminded of how impure we are because of the years of mistakes. And in our Timothy text, all these words that you see on the painting that are behind the word purity... They all just build up into this, again, I mean, it feels like they all become irrelevant in in light or in the shadow of of the word purity. But the list behind the word is for us just a running list of all the mistakes that we always make. Like, I'm not always pure in the way that I speak to and with people. It's just, and you're in the same boat. And I'm not always pure in my behavior or the way that I live my life. And I'm not always pure in the way that I love people. It's just not always pure. And I'm not always pure in my faith, both in God and faithfulness with you, people. And so the list that even leads up to the word purity is simply a long list of examples of how impure I can be. Now there's some saving grace in this. I know in Romans three twenty three it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Like that's, we get that. Often that's used as a license to just do whatever you want to do. But it is a reminder that none of us, none of us is on par with what God wants. We all fall short. And yet, in fact, in, this, in, the, in, in fact, we're still called to pursue a life of purity. And we're still called to live a life that isn't run down by a continual pattern and loop of destructive decisions and behavior. And yet... We're constantly reminded that we're short. We fall short. And it's just a very difficult thing. Finally, whatever that means, Timothy receives these words be an example in your speech, in your life, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. And the thing about it is we don't really know how Timothy responded to this advice. We just don't have a record of a letter back to Paul. So we simply are just left to consider what our own response is. And for me, I'll just give you for me. When I see the word purity on the page, I'm reminded, as I've already said, as a husband, as a father, as a neighbor, as a friend, as an employer, as a pastor, as a leader, that I'm not quite there yet. And truth be told, like, I'll get there a little bit, and then I fall back here, and then this area improves while this one declines. I mean, it's just, I'm not there yet. I have a long way to go. And again, don't take it wrong, but I'm I'm assuming that you probably have the same response. Like, okay, when I see the word purity, I'm just going to block that one out because I'm never going to be there. And so when I read that, uh, I'm just reminded that I'm I'm not there. Which is, by the way, how... We should read scripture. We should never, we should always read scripture as though it is speaking and reflecting back to us what's missing. Not what's missing in other people's lives. We should never read scripture with other people in mind. Never. You should never read this and go, mm-hmm. I know who needs to fix their speech, and I know who needs to fix their life. I'm going to share this verse with them and help them, and I know who needs to be more loving. They really need to see this, and the sermon about agape was amazing, so I'm going to forward that to them because they really need to hear this, and they really need to improve their faith. I mean, they just need to deepen the roots of their faith, and so this is for this person. We should never read Scripture that way. Never. Uh, In James chapter 1, he calls Scripture a mirror. You look into the mirror, and it reflects back to you what's messed up. And you're supposed to walk away from that and fix it. Make the adjustments. That's how we should read scripture. It should reflect back to us what isn't right. It doesn't feel very good to do it that way, but that's what it's there for. And a word like purity, which again, just we're talking about perfection here, which is unattainable. It continually reminds us that um, we're not there. And I can only guess, because again, we don't have a record of how Timothy interpreted this, how he responded to this, but I can only guess that perhaps maybe Paul put this at the very end of the list. Because again, Timothy is in a stressful situation with people. They're driving him crazy. And the tendency would be to get judgmental or defensive. And instead, he's told to be an example in these areas. And I can only guess that maybe this word purity, among other reasons, is put at the end of the list as if to say to him, look, the world is a messed up place. You can see that in the people you're with. But you are just as much a part of that same world. And you are just as much a part of the same ongoing brokenness that you see in the people around you. You are the same uh, as them. You are part of the problem as well because to accept, again, I may be reading too much into this, but this is how it has spoken to me, to accept the challenge to pursue purity is to ultimately admit that you are not pure. Like if you hear this today and say, I can do that, I'm going to push towards purity in some areas of my life. It's an admission that you're not pure in some areas of your life. It's just that simple. And so for Timothy even to read this and respond to it positively saying okay good i'm going to set the example of my purity and go for that challenge and live a life of purity it is a admission an admission that he has a long way to go and so just to join the journey of becoming a pure person is to make a statement about who you are it's to make a humble statement that i have a long way to go and it's also to acknowledge the need For God's grace. And I find it so powerful that at the end of a teaching to Timothy about how to deal with with crazy people. Is a word that is rooted in the need for grace. And the need for mercy. And the need for God's help. Turn to Psalm 103. If you already have it. And we'll end here. Again, we read portions of this a lot, but the writer says in verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Hesed is the word. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. So verses 8 and 10 really are about the unfairness of God. Because what's fair here on earth is to treat people according to their sins. That's fair. But here God comes across as very unfair based on our standards. It's not fair that people get away with their sins. But that's the fairness of God. Which is unfair to us. So the writer sets up a a picture of God's grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. Ultimately seen in that he doesn't really treat us according to who we are. Thankfully, but who he is. Verse 11, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so he removes our transgressions from us. And then verses 13 and 14 in closing. As a father has compassion for his children... So the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. There's a nice clause in there about fear. Wanting to please him, wanting to do what's right, wanting to live the right kind of life. There's, we meet compassion there. And then in verse 14, for he knows how we were made and he remembers that we are what? Dust. That's a nice compliment, isn't it? You're dust. But it's a look back to Adam being formed out of the dust of the earth. But dust is also frail. Dust doesn't have any strength. Dust has no support. Dust can't do anything for anything. It's just dust. And so it's a reminder that he knows how we were made because he made us from the dust of the ground, looking back to Genesis, but also the theological and real life implication here is that we are frail and that we are at his mercy and his grace. And so again, Timothy, and I don't know what scriptures he thought of, but for me, I always tend to go back to Psalm 103. But when I see the word purity, it brought me back to the need because purity, the call to purity and the challenge to live a pure life has to be rooted in that God is graceful when I'm not. And He is merciful. Amen? And when we celebrate communion every Sunday, which we'll do in just a moment, we are reenacting that story of God's grace and mercy. The bread and the juice are images that remind us of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the promise of his return, all of that is wound up in this ancient meal that we do. And the scriptures tell us that when Jesus comes back, like he fixes everything, the whole world gets put back together. And so when we eat the bread and we drink the juice, it's a reminder that we are all participants in this ongoing redemptive work of Christ. It is also an admission of guilt and need. It's an act of showing our need for grace. Just as much, not less or more than the other people in the room. All equal. And as we move to these tables around the room in just a moment, let us remember the challenge and the call to pursue a life that pleases God. A pure life, which begins, I believe, with admitting that we're not there. Blessed are the pure in heart, I think begins with knowing that you're not and beginning to take the steps and to allow God in, as we read in many verses today, that he works in us. And when you eat the bread and you drink the juice today, remember the words of Paul in Romans 5.8, which says that God so demonstrated his love for us in this way that while we were yet sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, not waiting for us to become perfect but he went ahead and died for us as we are let's pray and then we'll have communion together father thank you so much for your grace and your mercy we need that you know that we need that and even though you know that we are dust You know, just unable to um, muscle through every circumstance and temptation. Even though you know that, and even though you know that um, we are weak in some areas, and even though you know that you're always going to be ready and quick to forgive and to renew us, you still challenge us to live pure lives. And God, let us find you, let us find your compassion in our pursuit to do that. God, my guess is there are people in the room that are feeling very, very heavy about certain things that they struggle with, that they feel maybe trapped in, or that they feel uh, tied down with addictions, behavior patterns that are destructive. God, I pray that you... um, speak mercy into their lives this morning. As they eat the bread and drink the juice, that they are not hearing condemnation, but love. God, as a church body, we pray that you help us as a church family here in this city to live a pure life as a congregation so that we may be a light to the people in these buildings and in these neighborhoods that touch us.